Welcome back to the Chatters Box Podcast. My name is Kyle McClellan, your host, and uh, today we have two guests in the studio that are going to be talking about the legendary Mike Shannon. Uh, we all know that uh, we lost Mike here in the past few weeks, and uh, so as we were thinking through what we were going to put out for this month, we thought nobody better to have in here than these two guests that knew Mike Shannon really well, could tell the stories, and give a little glimpse to you as a listener viewer, uh, a little bit about Mike Shannon maybe you didn't know. So we have Mike Claiborne, who has known Mike forever, uh, been a partner of his and, and in the booth and, and all over, uh, just around the game for a long time, and then as long time good good friend uh fast eddie as well so thank you guys for stepping in the chatters box and uh being a part of this and uh getting to share all the stories that that i know we have about mike and uh, one thing we all share is we all love mike too i mean yeah. you couldn't be around him and not love him so um couldn't think of two better guys to have in here than you guys so thank thanks you. for being a part of it glad to be here um glad we have a good editor here so uh, <laughs> we, we may have a story too but we'll get through it we will get through it. Um, I just want to let's just start off with, um, you know, obviously the news came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, you guys were close to him, spent time with him leading up to that um, and knew, you know, he wasn't in, in, in great shape at the time and knew it might be coming. But, you know, what was your first reaction, you know, when you heard and, and what were kind of the thoughts that you went through? Well, well, anytime you get a phone call in the morning, late in the morning, you know, it's never good. Um, I was lucky enough to spend time with him for the last homestand. It was his last game he'd been to. He was at the ballpark, and we spent some time together. John Rooney visited with him, Ricky Horton, Brad Thompson, and Chip Carey. We all just kind of hung out with him for a few innings and just, you know, chatted it up. And, you know, Mike was still pretty sharp about certain things. I remember Chip Carey was saying to him, you know, what my dad used to say Webster Groves could beat CBC anytime because <laughs> Chip's dad, Skip, went to Webster Groves. And Mike, in his typical manner, just basically looked at him and said two words. One of them, the one of them ended with "you." Let's <laughs> just put it that way. And uh, we all laughed, but uh, that was the last time. But when I got the call, I kind of just stood back and just sat there. And I, th I think Eddie and I, uh, he yeah. was, we we were the first people to talk to each other after we, we got the word, uh, and we had our moment. And but you know what? Since then, I've tried to celebrate it because. While he may not be here with us physically, his his legacy will carry on. And because of him, myself, and other people who have so many stories mm -hmm. about him, uh, most people know him as the baseball broadcaster. I think Eddie can chime in. Uh, we were blessed to be a, be his friend because yeah, we saw another side to him. Yeah, absolutely. When you when you when, again, I started off as a as a business the business perspective of him uh, marketing for me and. When he when he first I saw him about a week I don't know a week before and he was okay he was kidding around the uh, physical therapist that was there said so it was her third time there and every time he had a shirt on that said uh, Mike Shannon's restaurant she said I started looking him up and she said man this must be one hell of a restaurant <laughs> I said there's a lot more to it than a restaurant <laughs> and he's over there laughing and he, you know we're having fun and I. I, 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 so when it happened, you, you're not shocked when an, an older an older guy goes. It wasn't shocked, surprised, not shocked, whatever. And I'm telling you, I had a few days where I was just, I, I never, I guess, realized, I guess, or maybe I got lost in how, how the, the things that he did publicly and, and, and how, how big of a human being he was by the friendship we had and that. And then, I mean, I was extremely upset for a few days because of the magnitude he's had on my life. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, he is, a, I don't know how else to explain it. He's like one of the loves of my life. I mean, there's a list of things that I've, that I've really, really enjoyed. My family, my, my, you know, whatever. And I, and it, I really took it hard and I kept thinking, you know, an 83 year old guy that lives a life like that. <laughs> You, what, what, and I, I guess I was just feeling sorry for myself because I wouldn't be able to have you know. But but now since then, after a few days wore off, I I feel so yeah. blessed and so fortunate because of what he taught me, what what I learned, what I watched, and it's it's true. It's you can sit around and say nice things about the people that, but this is different. I mean, I promise <laughs> you, it's different. I I, I feel like I, I feel like I hit the ticket or or did the right things to get in with him. And and, I'll, and 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 moving forward now, since since he's been gone for a week or whatever, you know, it's uh, it's kind of uh, I don't know, it makes me feel good that 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 
that I did whatever I had to do, and I know what I, I remember what I learned, the feelings that I've had, and he was really, really more than just a, you know, more than just a, a hell of a broadcaster and a funny guy. And, a, and to my life, it was it was huge. It really was. You know, um, th- those first seventy two hours, I'm not sure if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I'd have made it. Because yeah, we, we, we were talking we, every few. We hours. were talking every few. <laughs> we were checking. Out, and then we went to dinner one night. And I think everybody in the room saw how much fun we were having talking about him that they wanted to pull up a chair and <laughs> right, sit with us. Right. And and to pick it back on what he said, you know, Mike Shannon has as much impact on me as a person outside of my parents of anybody I've ever known. And I think because maybe I'm older, you know, when you lose people, you know, you kind of just try and inhale the good things. And that's what I've been trying to do. But I'm telling you, those, those 72 hours from that, that time I got the call until we sat down, was that Monday night? Monday night. It was we a Monday went, night because we got we the went. call on late Saturday night. Right. I'm in L.A. He's in St. Louis with Alton. Right. And uh, we went to dinner that Monday night. I think we started at six, and I think we might have been the next to last people to leave. It, it, it was needed too. Yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't think so, grown men, you know, and it wasn't necessarily a cry thing. But to realize the magnitude of what he did, not 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 and nothing, you know, where I, I, I wasn't for some reason. He's the first person that's ever really got me like this. My dad passed. Dad taught me a lot, like he said. You know, the the people in your life that have taught you a lot, and that, and I and and. And I, I really wish, and I'm telling you, his circle was tight. <laughs> you knew if he loved you, and he knew if he didn't. Oh love yeah. You. And, yeah. And we were two guys that were in it, and, and it, it's almost didn't like want to be on the other side of it. Because I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was short and sweet, or not so sweet. Yeah. But uh, I, I did not, and it hit me, and then, and then I knew to snap out of that. After that dinner, I woke up and I thought, man, I am one of a very few. They got to take the ride with a very unique person. And, and everybody wants to know stories. And there's yeah. some stories, yeah. boy. <laughs> but the story is overall every step he took his whole life. You know, you don't want to take a page out of that book. Mm-hmm. It was how he operated, how he treated people, how it was, how he talked to me, how he, I mean, he had some one line. He, he, he knew everybody in the damn world. He still had a flip phone, but I got to check out that contact <laughs> list. I, said, hey, I, said, I bet you, as far as flip phones go, it's got the coolest contact list. It, it does. And you know what? He's one of the last people that had a flip phone. Yeah. He, he, I remember one, one day he went to the phone store and bought all the other all flip phones that they had left just in case someone south on it. And he was like that where, like, golf shops, he would go in no matter what golf store country club yep. we play he go in and buy every black shirt all black shirts all, that's the only ones he would buy i saw him buy eight black pairs of shoes one time I yeah all the same color i mean he i like them exactly you never know they might discontinue exactly. something exactly. They might discontinue something. <laughs> black shoes and he's like hey, give me all them shoes flip phone was the same way <laughs> i mean phone, i think he bought you know, like nine of them yeah he had a whole stack of them. of them and i mean he'd always have an extra one in his in yeah. his suv uh, or his suburban. Oh, he had a, first guy that had, had a suburban. suburban. Yeah. Always had black clothes. <laughs> always had, had a suburban. Flip phone, black shoes. What was the black? What was that? Uh, because he said it didn't get as dirty as quick. You uh, couldn't uh, see the dirt. You, you, you can wear this two, three times. Yeah. You never know where I've been. And if I'm wearing white, you can tell where I've been. Exactly. <laughs> well, he, was so, he, he was so anal about that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it was just amusing after a while to watch him. Yeah carry on like that but he was he was consistent uh but one other thing he was he was selfless oh. uh he would go out of his way let's say the three of us are here and i don't know you and you know him he would make sure he i was part of whatever we're talking about the conversation and you know and he'd always say he's a good guy for you to stay in touch with mm-hmm. i've only seen one person who abused that privilege and all of a sudden <laughs> he's making dinner reservations and playing golf you know just dropping his name and it didn't work like that if you wanted to do something like that all you had to do is say hey mike i'm thinking about taking my wife to whatever don't worry about it i'll take care of but this guy was like he'd hear from the major d hey your your buddy was in here last night you know and it it came to a halt let's just put it that way (laughs) but he was selfless 
so uh, so unimpressed with yes. with uh, the celebrity part of his life, the, the the people part of his life. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a kid. You know, he's fifty years old. I'm twenty. I'm trying to buy commercials, trying to build a business, and uh, you know, I'm doing the whole Mr. Shannon, Mr. Shannon. I, I told that story. Yet I was sitting in a Camo X studio, and he's across the thing through the glass. Three or four guys in there. Hey, Mike, you ready? You hit your button when you're ready. Mike, grab your uh, headset. Mike, grab your. So the guys telling him, Mike, get your script. And I said, All right, Mr. Shannon, whenever you're ready, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm ready. All right, you ready, big boy? Yes, Mr. Shannon. All right, Mike, let's go. And in so many other words, he goes, Hey, wait a minute. I'm the only guy in here that's calling me Mr. Shannon is the guy that's paying me. <laughs> and and the kid, uh, 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 sorry, sorry. No, I'm serious. What in the hell is going on? This is what's wrong with the world. The guy that's paying me is calling me Mr. And all you guys are calling me Mike. I swear the guy, guy goes, uh, sorry, Mike. He goes, oh, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. And, and, he, and then I called him Mr. Shannon, and the Mr. thing always stayed, and people would ask, like, my, you know, like my mother. No, if they're such good friends, it's kind of weird that he calls him Mr. Nah. He only calls him two things, Mr. Shannon, and he called him the big guy. Big guy. Yeah, that's yeah. The big guy. That, big that's guy. when it's, you know, what? I, people would ask about, man, are you, are you really that good of friends? And you'd always try to, nah, nah, I don't, don't want to, nah, he's too cool for me to call my friend. I'd always say, I could be the porter sometimes because it's either grab my bag or go pull the car. <laughs> so there was a lot of that going on. But I'd take any slot I could get, you know. Well, he, uh, I know my first <clears throat> spring training in, in Big League Camp, 2008, and I come in, and, and the first game I pitch in was uh, I started against the Marlins. I remember that. And, uh, and so I, 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 I pitched that game, and I went home, and at the time it wasn't as easy to access. I don't know how I did it, but um, went back and found it because I wanted to listen to him call a game. You know, you got to understand, I grew up in St. Louis listening to him my yeah, whole life. Right. And now here I am in the Cardinal uniform and Mike Shannon's calling the game. And uh, and so for, from a local standpoint, you know, that was that that was like, I've made it. You know, I'm close. Yeah, I said, haven't, I haven't yeah. quite made it. I, I, well, I'm, I'm he, close. He to, <laughs> you, know, to, but. you know, because he would forget people's names sometimes. <laughs> he called, he said, a young pitcher we have from the county. <laughs> and then I said, Mike, his name is Kyle McClellan. <laughs> oh, yeah, Kyle McClellan from the county. <laughs> That's how he would just bring it together. And, and you're right. Uh, if you were a local guy, he would make sure that everybody knew sure. that this is he's one of us. He's yeah. a St. Louis guy. Yeah, I mean, and, and all my interactions with him, he, he treated me so well. And, you know, it, that that player, and, and I mean, he's a legend, right? And, mm-hmm. and so you're just a rookie player. And it, you know how it is in the clubhouse where you got to oh, kind of yeah. earn your spot. It was the same. Sure. I felt the same with him. Like, hey, I'm just a nobody here. And, you right. know, I just and, – and you kind of earn his respect as you Absolutely. as you go. And, um, you know, he was he was fair and honest to me. And uh, we had great conversations afterwards doing some of the stuff at KMOX. He was always good to me. And, um, you know, but but hearing that was, was special. And then when I started at KMOX, when I got done, Steve Moore um, – the program director he said do you know that you and mike shannon are the only two in cardinals history that born in st louis yeah. raised in st louis and won a world series here and i said no I, you know, I thought of a couple other ones they said no he wasn't you know he wasn't born here he was born there right. moved here at like two years old or whatever um and so i always thought that was a cool connection of you know we, we can talk a little bit about i i think people have heard and we talked about this before we got on people have heard he was a great athlete growing up but you never heard that from him. No, you always heard no, it from other no. people. But give an idea of, I mean, Mike, you know, yeah. you've known him for so long. Like, give an idea of, I mean, he went to CBC High School he, here. I think he's still the only guy that was all state in, in basketball, football, and baseball in the same year. Now, you think about that. All state, not all conference, not all metro, all state in three different sports in the same year. Um, went to Mizzou for one year. And, and I, let me, I guess I should tell this story. Because it kind of goes. So <clears throat> he was in – this is when baseball was signing kids at a, coming out of high school, and you had the choice to go to college. So Glenn Becker played for Chicago Cubs. was the same situation, kind of a, with the bonus baby. So Becker told Shannon, well, I'm not going to sign. I'm going to go to college. Because they wanted to try and team up to make sure they got the right kind of money. Well, Becker at the last minute signed with the Cubs. And that pissed Shannon off to no end because Shannon had already committed to Mizzou. 
which, by the way, uh, Frank Broyles, who's a Hall of Fame coach, uh, then went on to Arkansas, would tell, would, have, would tell you that had Mike stayed at Mizzou, he'd have won the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Shannon is, you know, he carries a grudge with the best of them. So now they're playing Chicago, and Becker's playing second base. And Shannon told Gibson, he said, if I get on, if there's a double play ball, I'm, a, I'm taking him out. <laughs> well, lo and behold, uh, and Mike had this clairvoyancy about him. He could predict things. So anyway, it was a ground ball, second, ground ball shortstop, throws a second, and Mike puts this guy not only in the left field but unconscious. They have to stretcher him off, right? So now he's getting death threats at the hotel because it's on TV. He's getting death threats at the hotel, and, you know, he survived, obviously. So fast forward to Ron Santo. Ron Santo and Mike Shannon didn't speak for almost 40 years. Hmm. And so when Mike's wife got sick, Judy, Santo sent him a card. Hey, I hope everything's well. So when he got sick, Mike reached out to him. So over the time, they'd see each other in the broadcast booth, and so we get to St. Louis, and Mike invites Ron Santo on the show. Now, Santo at the time had lost both his legs to diabetes, and so he's sitting there, and we're in a commercial break now. I guess I should probably preface the fact that <laughs> at that point in the show, Mike says to Santa, hey, what are you drinking? He said, I'm just drinking your house wine. He said, oh, we got something better than that. So they had a vault in the old restaurant, and he went down and got the good stuff. So needless to say, they were truly in the bag. And so Santo says, you know, there's a, you know, I didn't used to like you for a while. He said, yeah, I know why. He said, do you know why? He said, well, no. He said, because I, he said, you took out my roommate. And he said, well, yeah, I did. He said, you know why I took out your roommate? And so Shannon explained the story on why San, uh, Beckert misled him. And Santo never, never heard that story before. He said, you mean tell me all these years I've been missing out on fun hanging out with you? <laughs> and so that night they were like two kids. And the funniest part about it, Mike says to him, hey, Ron. Does anybody hide those pegs in the morning when you get out of bed? Does anybody ever hide those pegs? And we just kind of, I'm just kind of looking at it like, oh, my oh. goodness. And so Santa was dying laughing. <laughs> and I'll never forget uh, Ron Culper, Major League umpire, who lived in St. Louis at the time, was listening to the show. And he just texted me. He said, they're both in the bag, aren't they? <laughs> I said, big bag. And they were the closest I've seen Mike have a relationship with a guy who didn't wear a Cardinal uniform hmm. before Ron died. Hmm. So his his time here in St. Louis, he goes to Mizzou for just one year, and then yeah. what happens? What happens from there? He obviously then he he signs with the Cardinals, and uh, but he played football at Mizzou. Played football at Mizzou and baseball. In baseball, and then he signs gave with up the on Cardinals. basketball. Yeah. Uh, would have made a team, but I think Mike was kind of enamored with all the other distractions that come <laughs> with college <laughs> in your freshman year. Uh, and his roommate was a guy who had a convertible. So needless to say, yeah. car, car on campus, you, you know, it's, it's you made. Yeah. Man, it's a made yeah. deal. So he left after the first year, signed with the Cardinals, and the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, he always used to tell a story. His first year in minor league baseball was in uh, Georgia. And he could not believe the racism that he saw. And what what year are we talking here? This is 1958. Okay. And uh, he couldn't believe the racism. 58 or 59. Couldn't believe the racism. And so he goes to one of the people in the front office. He said, I can't believe this is going on. You know, what's, what the hell? He said, I've never seen this before. And the guy leaned back in the chair and said, you think this is something? You know, we just let Catholics in this league last year. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point on, welcome to the real world, Mike Shannon. <laughs> but he... Uh, Played in the minors. The, the, the stories he would tell me about playing in the minor leagues is worth a book itself. But some of the nicknames. Jungle Jim Rivera is one that stands out. Uh, he roomed with a guy who, in his opinion, could throw as hard as anybody. So Mike, But he wore glasses. And so that night, Mike had a nightmare or whatever and rolled over and broke part of the furniture. And the guy's glasses got broke. And he came out and tried to play catch the next day. And when they saw him without his glasses, nobody wanted to get in the batter's box for batting practice. But there were so many of those stories that he would talk about. And then he finally gets called up. And it was funny because uh, he wasn't playing a lot. And so he went over to, uh, oh gosh, it was uh, 
guy that Gibson didn't get along with. I can't think of his name. Um, anyway, he went over to the manager. He said, hey, you know, I'm not playing. And he said, yeah, I know. So he played him, like, for about 15 days in a row. At that point, Mike had enough. You know, he just he realized he was, you know, letting he was bringing him along slowly just to let him know. But uh, he was an incredible guy coming up. He, he was a sensation. And I said before we went on the air, I've seen every Cardinal since the mid-60s. And Mike Shannon is one of the top five best throwing arms I've ever seen, period. And they didn't win. They wouldn't have won in 67 if it wasn't for him moving to the outfield. I mean, moving from the outfield to third base so Roger Maris can play. So his his playing time, I, you know, I, I'm thinking my generation, um, you know, I'm 38. Um, I don't know his history of him as a player. Like, I know him as the broadcaster side. You know, so what kind of player was he? What what was his um, – uh, what did he bring to the field? And, and obviously we can talk about a little bit. His he, playing career got he, cut yeah, short, right? He, he, he brought effort, first of all. Uh, do anything to help the team. 260-plus hitter. Um, thank God there was a place called Wrigley Field because he hit over 300 at Wrigley Field. Loved day baseball. Could not get enough of it. Uh, and he was a guy that would do whatever it took to help the team win. Uh, but I said, like I said, hit, I think 263. Mm-hmm. Um, led the team in RBIs one year when they weren't very good. And he was a sixth or seventh place hitter. Uh, but he was a guy that everybody liked being around for a lot of different reasons. But that year when they took him from the outfield that winter and put him to the infield, he and Red Shaney used to go over Forest Park and Red, because Red was a switch hitter, Red would hit him two, three hundred balls. And Mike would say when he came home, his chest was just blue with all the balls that were hitting him in the chest because he wasn't an adept fielder, but if he could, if he could stop it and just grab it, he could throw you out. Uh, he made a lot of errors early in his career, but he kind of turned in to be a solid third baseman. Uh, he was a guy that could move runners along. He really understood the game. And, and the reason being, when he came up, there was over 150-plus years of experience on the team. And as Mike would say, they always took him out. He never he never paid for a dinner his first three years in the big leagues because they all, you know, you know how that drill works. You know, young guys don't pay. But they, for some reason – liked him and taught him everything they knew i was gonna say you, it, it works that way if if you're accepted and brought in right uh, there's there's, there's a lot other of, guys there's a lot of young guys that there's pay other for guys just burning up that per diem yeah exactly. That. Right. exactly yeah well and, and so that i want to speak to next i mean and, and this is where you you guys can both chime in um he people gravitated towards him well, yeah Right, I mean, it, you magnetic were magnetic as you could be, and and as a young player, I mean, you're. Ta- I want to talk about the relationships he had. I mean, him and Bob Gibson were tight, as it Real tight, tight. tight as, and, yeah. and and his two best friends were Maris and Roger Maris and Bob Gibson, two unique individuals. Yeah, you got one guy from North Dakota, and you got another guy from Omaha. One's white, one's black, and and Mike didn't care. Those right. were his friends, and one of the things about Mike as a teammate. Um, one of, my, one of my favorite stories, Cardinals used to have a guy named Richie Allen. Pound for pound, maybe the strongest player I've ever seen. And I, I can tell that story later. So anyway, Richie gets traded to St. Louis. Now, Richie had some issues off the field. And everybody knew it, but if you can get him to the ballpark, he could, he could create damage unlike anything you've ever seen. You would have a problem with him because you threw that curveball. He <laughs> he's one guy I've never seen. He hit a curveball. He hit Nelson Braz's curveball about 460 feet before it hit the ground. All right. So anyway, Richie gets traded to St. Louis, and Pat Corrales, who was another great friend of Mike's. I mean, they were tight because they came up in the minors together. Pat Corrales was from Mexico, but you know he lived most of his life in the, in the states. So he would call him Big Irish, and Mike would call him Mary Mex, and they had fun with it. <laughs> so now Richie says, uh, "Hey, Mike, you want to go running with me tonight?" And so they go to a, a place in an urban community in Philadelphia. I'll put it that way. <laughs> So it's Mike, Pat Corrales, and Richie Allen. So when they hit the door, the whitest thing in there was Mike's teeth, all right? There was not a white person within the area code. And so the room gets quiet, the bar gets quiet, and Mike walks over to the bartender and says, hey, 
you guys serve Mexicans here? <laughs> <laughs> and so now the place erupts. And so he turns, around, he turns around and says, all right, Pat, you can drink with us now, just like that. And from that point on, every time the Cardinals would go to Philadelphia, whether Richie Allen was on the team or not, somebody from that bar would call the hotel, see if Mike Shannon was here. And they they go get him and they take him out. But that was that was who he was. Yeah. I mean, he was a great teammate. And there wasn't a bar on this planet or a good golf course that he didn't know about. And I don't care what town it was in. Hmm. That, that's who he was. Um, can you share the story of what you were talking about in the minor leagues, about being so, in the South? And- so Mike was playing in the South, and – Cardinals had a black player on the team. And there was a fan that was just rolling every racial epithet you could think of to the point where Mike turned around looked at him and was like, dude, what's the problem here? And so one thing leads to another between those two, and the guy says, if you don't like it, you can meet me after the game downstairs under the stadium. And the stadium had just been constructed. So everybody's looking at Mike like, oh, <laughs> this ought to be good. So – when the guy gets up out of his seat, he's like about six foot six, six foot seven. I mean, this guy's massive, right? I mean, arms bulging. And, and I heard this story from another black player, all right? Because I, I asked Mike about it. He said, who you been talking to? Because word had kind of gotten around. So as the story goes, there's Mike still in uniform. And here comes this guy. And Mike realizes he's going to need a little bit more than a fist if he's going to try. And he picks up a pipe and says, all right, let's go. And the guy looks at him like, you would really defend him? He said, he wears the same uniform I wear. That's my teammate. And the guy threw his hands up and walked away. And that's the kind of person Mike was. If you were part of his crew, you had nothing to worry about. Yeah, and then you said word spread on that. Word spread around every black player in the minor leagues, and then it got to the major leagues about him doing that. Mm -hmm. And if you ever noticed, some of Mike's best friends were black in baseball. Willie Mays, McCovey. Uh, Dusty Baker. I mean, those are like his. Those were his guys. You know, I think Dusty took Mike's passing as hard as maybe you and I did, really, because they were close. Yeah, he spoke of him a lot. Yeah, I know him and Dusty had a, had a really tight relationship. He was just so, um, you know, whether whether it was color or whatever, the it wasn't even. He was just so uh, loyal to to. Yeah, he liked you, man. He was, and that no matter what your social economic, he didn't give a. Shit. Where you where you were at in life? What if I'm in you know if I'm in a room? Literally, I mean, the All Star Game was here that night. I'm a bar owner from Alton, Illinois, man. You know, and I'm walking around. It says no press, no nothing on the door, and they won't let a rooster in. He's like, "Hey, big boy, you want to look at Jeter? You want to look at that? Uh, you know that clown, that uh, A Rod or whatever?" And I'm like, <laughs> "What?" And like, he's like, well, "I gotta go down here and talk." And we go, we walk by this guy, and I'm in there with every celebrity in the world, and to and and, and he could make you feel. I don't. Really, and I guess that's why I, I was allowed to hang around him because I don't get impressed. As a, I didn't care. Yeah. I just was hanging around Mr. Shannon, and you know he 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 didn't. He was truly. I mean, it was real. He saw you. He was a broke kid from South City. You know that that um, that that did well, and he didn't think he was better than anybody. I don't know. It would almost be un, impossible to not think you were cooler than anybody because it oozed out of him. He, you know, he, he was so magnetic and so. But but to be to the black thing or the, he didn't have time for that. Mm-hmm. If you were cool, I mean, you were in you you and you were and, and he and he would protect you almost. Like you know, if you were at a dinner table and somebody, he'd jump right in, pick on me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. it was it was always that. It was always he, he was. Uh, he was very aware of, of the surroundings. <clears throat> and if he wasn't sure about an issue, he'd ask you. Um, if there was something that would deal with race that he wasn't sure, he said, hey, tell me about this because I want to know what's going on. I want to know how you see it. Mm-hmm. And I remember the George Floyd situation <clears throat> where baseball shut down for a bit and you know we had the issue of what do we do or why, why are people not standing for the flag? And I gave him my version of, of where I, how I saw it. And, you know, he kind of sat back in the chair. He said, okay, I, I see that. He said, now, I, I can't agree with it, but I understand it. And I think I'm better for it. And I, I would hear him explain it to other people uh, because he, he was a guy who wanted to be in tune. And, again, 
he may not agree with everything, but he respected mm-hmm. it. And that's the thing. He Because his thing was, if these people, protesters, athletes, are willing to sacrifice something, there must be something worthy to them. Yeah. And I need to know about that. Well, I, th- I think that was a big part of the personality of the kindness and yeah. the, and the to where and 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 his depth was more than you, you know that yabba dabba do ball goes out to the left. I mean, the, the fact that he was intelligent enough to, to to take another person's opinion and not judge and not tell me he that was part of his that was part of everything that he did. It didn't matter who you were if you if you were in you were you were you were right or you were wrong. And he and he and he had the he had the like you said earlier the clairvoyant. He had this for like he could almost judge a, a guy before it happened. He could almost I remember if, if three or four times I've heard him do this with like a you know a guy a waiter or whatever. If he didn't really like him, you could tell, you know, he's kind of, and I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for that bomb to go off. And, and he always was good to people and fair to people, but if the guy was an ass, whether it's a good guy, whatever, you know. I remember, hey, let me ask you something. And it was a little test he'd give a guy. You tougher than your grandpa? Yep, that was his favorite question. And, and, the guy, and if the guy always, nah, I'm tough. Uh, all right, man. That's all I need to know about you, because nobody in this society is tougher than their grandpa. He, he I'd love to. Remember, he said like no. That. He said it was two people. Well, that, two, one guy was lying. One, and the other yeah, guy right, was right. a fool. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're, you're either lying or you're a fool. And that's what it was. Yeah, it was always because nobody's tougher. So, so you know, you get an arrogant guy. Hey, when he'd ask you that, I knew he didn't really like you, because he asked me on the car a couple times. Hey, what, what, what would you say if it, you know, like hyper? Pathetically, hell no! My grandpa would whip my, and, and he's like, "That's why me and you were running around, big boy." He, 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 he loves stuff like that, you know, like 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 rather than than uh, really rock the boat too much, just let you fall in a trap of, yep. You just put your nail in your gun. You're, you're done with yeah, me. Exactly. No, he would cross the street after that. He would. He I'm would done with you. <laughs> a voracious reader. He he would read all the time, and he come in the booth with a book, or he'd tell me about a book he read. He said, you got to get it. And then two days later, he'd have the book. Mm-hmm. He he might have, Amazon did not know who their best customer was going to be because Mike would want things right there on the spot. And so once he found Amazon was going to deliver like overnight, he would buy things, especially, here's another story, about delivery. So he and I are doing the game. It's a, it's a Thursday. It's a getaway day. Playing Milwaukee. McCarver's doing the TV. Euchre's one booth down. And so everybody's seen the picture of uh, Bob Euchre with the tuba in '64. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mike's sitting there watching batting practice. He's like, "Ah, damn! I, I ought to get me a tuba." Euchre's over there. I'm gonna get him to sign. He was something about him getting autographs for people because he wanted to have the greatest collection for one day when he was gone. It'd be worth a lot. So he says, "I'd like to get my hands on a tuba right now." So I'm saying, "He said, you know, I can get a tuba." <laughs> No, I mean, I didn't thought about it. Then I realized there was a pawn shop down on South Broadway near the brewery. I said, there's a pawn shop down the street. So he looks it up and calls a pawn shop and says, hey, you guys have a tuba down there? And they said, as a matter of fact, we do. He said, well, bring it to the ballpark. So they, the people downstairs like, hey, is Mike around? And they said, yeah. He said, well, we're, the security's like, well, we got a guy down here with a tuba, uh, and we can't let him in. Mike said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's a tuba. We don't, we don't. So Mike had to go down there and convince security that the tuba was for him. So now he says the seventh inning, he says, hey, go get McCarver and, and uh, Euchre. So I go over and get them both. And he walks in. And he presents Euchre with this tuba. And Euchre, and the look that McCarver had on his face, I thought he was going to wet himself. I mean, and I have a picture. I'll show it to you. That he is laughing. Now, who would think about a tuba that, that took place in 1964 and all of a sudden, it came to Mike's mind to 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 get it, but he was dead set on getting a tuba from somewhere. And that's the thing about him—you know how oh. he once he was set I on something. I probably would have been driving to the pawn shop. Yeah, exactly. Tuba exactly. Once he was set on something, he wouldn't let it go. He no, would not let it go. It, it, it just it, he would be convinced that it was what needs to happen exactly. right then, and it would happen. He could make it happen. It was something, man. So what? What's his autograph collection like? Did he? Oh did he, gosh. I mean, uh, you know what? Anybody who came into to the booth, he'd have a, a couple of dozen balls stashed away. And whoever came in who was famous, he'd get them to sign it. Um, oh. Gosh, you know, he, he met multiple presidents. Uh, 
But he'd never get a kick out of any. You know, he wasn't giddy. He wasn't, you know. I, I remember one time at the restaurant, we were standing there, and he he totally stirred up with Gibson. And he, somebody asked Mr. Gibson for an uh, autograph. And he said, yeah, no problem. He said, well, I heard, uh, I heard you don't. You don't sign too many autographs. And you could either be a old crabby guy or a racist or whatever. And I'm like, what the hell? He's got this bartender with dreadlocks. He's like, dude, he's cool as shit. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, and the guy goes, he, and he goes, hey, you two, go down to the basement and get us a box of balls. So we go down in the basement. I'm, for some reason, it takes two of us. Me and this guy's got a little tuxedo, Santa off and all. He comes up and he's like, Hey, uh, to Gibson, he's like, sign these, and, you know, you won't kill that reputation. He signs all, like, 12, you know, yeah. the, the 12. He signs them all. Mr. Shannon put them back together and handed it to me. He goes, hey, go put them back. <laughs> he, he just stole 12 Bob Gibson signed balls. He, and that's what he'd do. He'd he just put them in front of you and say, sign these. Yeah, he would say, 500 would you? Bob, yeah, he just exactly. made six grand. He he's just, like, hey, put them back down. And Gibson's like, well, I don't know. Big Shan, well, why am I? And he's like, well, you don't want to run that reputation anymore. <laughs> I've seen him do it. He, he walk right up to Howard and stick stuff in front of him and sign that, mm-hmm. sign that for him. And, you know, the thing about him was he 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 was fearless. Um, there's a story about him and Dave Kingman. So Dave Kingman was a guy who played around the league, big, strong guy, Arizona State. He, you know, hit almost 500 home runs, but was one of the biggest jerks in baseball. And uh, didn't get along with anybody. He was a guy who put a dead mouse in a female report in a, in a shoebox and sent it to a female reporter. He was a bad person. So Mike would go up and get you know when you Mike would ask you to do pregame show with you and he hey Eddie I, I want you, I need you for about three minutes. And so he goes up to Kingman and Kingman starts chirping out. I don't know if I want. So at the end Mike was like hey. You. He said, you don't want to do it, don't do it, but don't don't sit here and waste my time. And so now Kingman kind of turns around and everybody around the cage stepped back because they were like, uh-oh. Because, you know, because you know when Mike would get that vein in his neck going and his eyebrow would get raised, it was battle stations, man. Oh, man. And Kingman thought about it because here's a guy that's a little older than him and you know, Mike back then was in really good shape. And Kingman looked at him and took a pass on him. Mm. But everybody was hoping <laughs> that, you know, this was going to happen because everybody wanted to see Dave Kingman get his Yeah. So, so with, with Mike, his, uh, go back to his playing career, got cut short. Mm-hmm. Can you he explain had, a little bit about that? He had It was a kidney ailment, and he took so many experimental drugs that they gave him six months to live. Mm. Now, here's a guy with five kids and six months to live. And as he'll tell you, he said, you know, I've already died once. Because nobody gave Mike a chance, but he's Mike Shannon. And he was how old at that time? Thirty, mm-hmm. maybe thirty, mm-hmm. with six or five kids, one on the way, and uh, he survived. And uh, he had a heart issue later in life. He he kicked that in the butt, uh, and you know he everybody had some ailments, but he was he was tough hombre, man. Yeah. He, so he, so his playing career gets cut short. So right. so he goes right to the booth. So, no, well, no, he goes to, no, he goes into ticket sales. And this is why I tell young people, if you have an aspiration to work That's in right. any industry, get in the system. That's right. You so don't he have to be selling, king to enjoy the palace. Exactly. Get in there. And, and he got he, in the system. He sold tickets for a year. And at one point, they wanted to make him a coach. And at one point, they even thought about him being a manager. But he had these young kids. And, you know, that would have been a lot because he, he loved being around his kids. He would take his kids to spring training every year, pile them up in the station wagon, and they drive down to Florida every year. But he decided he wanted to stay, and he kind of stumbled into the broadcasting thing because he was doing sports reports at KXOK, which is no longer with us. And uh, Bob Hyland heard about him over there, and the brewery really liked Mike. And basically, as Mike would tell you, uh, the brewery shoved me up Hyland's you-know-what, and, and he was stuck with me, and I was stuck with him. And the next thing you know, they threw him in with Jack. Jack worked with him a little bit in the offseason. Well, you know. And he, the rest is history. He told me one time, you know, he never served anything but Anheuser-Busch at his right. bar. You couldn't get a Miller Light or a Coors Light. And he said, they took care of me when I was down and out, and I needed, my family needed, and the old man Bush, you know, owned this place, owned the whole thing. 
And he was telling me, and then he opened the one uh, in Edwardsville, and he opened, and he stayed true to it. And at the airport, it's a little different because it's got a corporate thing. But he was so St. Louis. I mean, everything mm-hmm. you want to talk about St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis, mm-hmm. it's it's Mike. You can talk about Toaster. I mean, hell, he might have invented Toaster, have you? I'm sitting in Edwardsville. <laughs> I'm sitting in Edwardsville one day in the afternoon, and we're watching some sports some horses running around on that big screen. His grandson was the boss, and he walks up and he says, Hey, Grandpa, uh, these uh, new craft beers are out. It's been 10 years ago, whatever they were big. And he puts on, you know, the pumpkin and, and, the, and the raspberry and all the other they got out there. And he goes, uh, these are high profit margin beers. What do you, what, what do you can do? My, Mom said ask you first. He goes, what, what do you ask me? Goes, well, they're not. They're not distributed by. They're not. They're not made by Anheuser Busch. She want to know if you know. You know that's been a long time. You know you think it'd be okay if I uh, sold these with more profit in it than there are Budweiser. He goes. So you ask if, if I if I have a, I don't have a problem at all. He goes. I think it's a great idea. And he's like really. He's like she said you would never do it. And he goes. Nah, you just gotta. You gotta do one thing. What's that? He said. Take my name off the front of this joint. <laughs> the kid said, him. "Just forget it." <laughs> he, he, goes, was, he goes, "Yeah, you no problem." But, but so I'm not loyal. involved in it. He's so loyal to Anheuser Busch, and I'm of the firm belief: the billions of dollars that Anheuser Busch Bush spends mm-hmm. on advertising and marketing and commercials, and you name it, Mike Shannon has sold a billions more. Uh, the the cold frost he wanted doing the broadcast, yeah. the cardinal caravans that he would go on back in the day, and the caravans used to start in St. Louis, so they were hitting bars all over St. Louis, and Mike would come in with a wad of money, he'd start throwing it down, and he'd buy rounds of drinks, and it was always Budweiser, you know, mm-hmm. and then the other Anheuser Busch products came online. Uh, the greatest ambassador Anheuser Busch yes, has ever absolutely. had. Absolutely. There's, there's not even anybody close. As good as those commercials have been over the years, Mike Shannon has sold more beer than anybody this, that the, company's the, ever there's had. There's no way one guy ever sold more beer for them than than, than Mr. Shannon. He he would I mean he would every city he'd go in. Anybody yeah. that wants a Budweiser, a Budweiser. When you were in Milwaukee, when everybody's here, I'm standing, I'm thinking, this, we're going to get in a fight here. And he didn't care. And, and, I mean, I've seen him tip over uh, Coors Lights in Denver. He'll go and tip your beer over. I'll buy you two Budweisers. Don't that's, worry. That's who he was. And he had enough cash on him to choke a horse. And I'm standing thinking, oh, I'm the younger guy. I'm going to get the hell beat out of me. And the guy, I'm cool, man. He go, get him 10 Budweisers. I mean, he, went, he, he actively worked for Budweiser his whole life. Yeah. Because that they took care of him when he had that family, and he, yeah. you know, and then to fall into the broadcasting, just to, like they, like you said, they saved him, didn't know what he was doing, and then to become that good at it, right. somebody saw that that personality, and said, he should have walked around with a microphone in front of him. He was so funny, he, you know. You just somebody saw it, and he and he crafted it and became as good as he was. When I think people liked him so much because he wasn't polished. He no, wasn't, he no. wasn't a, um, you know a. a he, he, didn't, he, didn't he didn't go, go to, to Syracuse or yeah, anything like that. He, it was his own style. It's who yeah. he was. His formatics were different than what they teach yeah. in school. There's no doubt about it. But you knew what he was saying. Yeah. I mean. Right. And, and, and you can be as smart as you want. Just to be yourself. That was kind of what he taught. Be yourself. Be yes. who you are. You can be as sharp as you know Bob Costas and all the wah, wah, wah. But to listen to Mr. Shannon, he knew what he was talking yeah. about. Yeah. And if you'd ever go up with him and watch it, he'd say, Left fielders are playing. Might as well play shortstop, and then the ball would go over the left fielder's <laughs> head, and and you'd be like, and then he'd say something kind of silly, you know, or Shannonisms. When if you talk that much and have that yep. much fun, you really enjoy it, and you're not afraid. You know, everybody else is like auditioning to keep their job all the time. What are you gonna do with him? He, he was there being and. It would be the way. It'd be way more fun than, and you know, you're talking about some really serious game. It's one nothing in the sixth. Well, yeah, that reminds me of 1963 in <laughs> in Cape Girardeau, and, and they're like, hey, it come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. We, well, we got a game we're listening to. You're you're going down 270, going without a strike. You just missed four pitches. I remember this guy Gary Smith. Boy, I've never. Now that you guys mention that, and they're like, is he going to talk about? It? And you know what I mean? So, but that's how we are. That's how yeah, you are. Yeah. That's how every other guy in St. Louis is. And and his goofiness was. 
was kind of a... It was genuine. Though. It was genuine yeah. and real, and, th- and that's what he was. Whatever flashed through his brain. Right. Uh, and that's know, what he was saying, and he didn't care. He didn't have to He didn't have to worry about he, keeping his job tomorrow. Right. The thing about him, and you know, you know, they used to call him the moon man. So the real story about this is they're out in the outfield stretches. Shannon, Gibson, maybe, maybe Brock. It's about five guys out stretching. And, you know, back then they'd start the games at 8.15. Hmm. Uh, so Mike's out there stretching. He's looking up the sky. He's looking around. He said, you know, they're going to put a guy on that moon up there pretty soon. So everybody's looking. This is before Kennedy even said we we're going to put somebody on the moon. And so everybody's kind of looking at him. He said, what are you talking about? Up there. There's going to be a guy walking around up there one day, sooner than you think. And so one of them said, okay, moon man. And that's how I got started. Huh. Uh, that's why they call him the moon man, because he predicted somebody was going to be on the moon before anybody else even thought about it. And that, that's who he was. If he flashed through his mind, he could just look at something, and it would remind him of something else. And then that story would get started. So it, it was, he was deliberate and uh, factual. The thing I always enjoyed about him as a broadcaster, <clears throat> if you didn't know he played, you didn't know. Yeah, Other he, than yeah. the fact that you could tell by the way he talked, the, 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 the intelligent way he talked about it, you could tell, okay, that's mm-hmm. somebody that understands it. But he never talked about himself, no. never mm-hmm. brought his career up, mm-hmm. never talked about this. That. You, as as somebody that did play, I could listen to it and go, man, I don't know if this guy played or not, but it sure sounds like he's, he's yeah. played. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a That was right. just the he way he went about it. He would give you just enough to say that, He's making some educated yes. statements, right? You and know, you, you don't want to talking about his own personal small yeah. stories. It's about the the knowledge had to be there from playing. Yeah, you know, and he, man, he knew some stuff. <laughs> he only uh, the only time he would ever talk about playing, he would be some mostly self deprecating. He always tells a story about opening day in Chicago one year, and he's zero for five, and he's zero for four, and Doug Harvey's the umpire. And so he called a strike on him. He said, you got to be kidding. That's a strike? He said, yeah. And Mike said, who are you, God? He said, yeah, I'm God. He said, well, good. Make it rain because I'm 0 for 4 today. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. But he also tells a story that that he was 0 for 5 on opening day. The game got rained out, but the stats, they continue to keep the stats. He said, I was 0 for 5 and the season hadn't even started yet. <laughs> but he would talk about things in that manner. Yeah. Uh, he also – Love playing at Wrigley Field. Because I, I remember my first time with him at Wrigley Field. He said, oh, you're going to love this place. I said, really? It's a dump. Mm-hmm. He said, no, you're going to love it. And I said, why do you love it? He said, because I hit over 300 here. He's the only <laughs> place in baseball I ever hit over 300. And that's all you would know. Yeah. He wouldn't tell you anything else. Now, there are certain pitchers he could tell you about that he could hit. Great pitchers. But other than that, he never bragged on or made somebody look bad, you know, as far as, oh, yeah. I own this guy or that yeah. guy. Yeah, you know? or trying to build yeah. himself up. But never the thing that. is, he played in one of the great – I think at one point he had either played with, against, or broadcast over 60 Hall of Famers. Hmm. You think about that. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of good players he's seen and knew most of them personally. I mean, he loved Tony Gwynn, loved sitting mm-hmm. around talking to Tony he Gwynn. He always talked about Tony Gwynn, the, the man. Um, and the, the only thing better only thing better he was at baseball was life. He was better at life than he was at baseball. Yeah. Like he, Tony Gwynn was he, – and he never talked about too many people like that. I mean, he he, he really – he really Willie had Mays is another thing. guy. He yep. loved Willie Mays. He, that, was, that was one of his favorite. And he said time. he was – and he was also the best player. He ever saw. He said mm-hmm. he's, he, if you asked him that question, he got, he'd say, Willie Mays is the uh, – he, He'd it, tell you, when he came out of the dugout, he never took his eyes off of him. Hmm. From shagging balls to everything else. He said, but he had a voice. And he, yeah. he, he, he goes, how do you talk like this? And he goes, I think it was fake. He'd trick you. <laughs> the other thing about him was he loved going to the West Coast because when they got to L.A., he knew everybody out there because all the guys from L.A., they would come in from Vegas and they would hang out. And that night he and Chamberlain and Gibson and Red Fox and who else was it? He was the only white guy that was running with him that night. And so he, they were at the end of the bar, and Mike kept looking up at Chamberlain, who he saw when he was a, you know, in college, in high school. Uh, he kept looking up, and he said, I got to get out of here. I said, what's wrong, man? He said, I 
can't keep looking at this guy. I got a crook in my neck, man. And, we, and I forgot who was pitching the next day. It was somebody he really liked hitting against. And uh, he looked up at him. He said, I got a crook in my neck. I got to go. But, you know, he loved being in L.A. with that crowd. But but he never was a fan. He just liked hanging out with yeah. them. And, and uh, the stories about when they would go to L.A. were, were, were legendary. So the, the, the time, the live at Shannon's. Yeah. I mean – Talk about how that kind of came about, and that those had to be some of the best times. Oh. I mean, just sitting there for me. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I've done a lot in over forty years in this business, and I think I'm most proud of that time. Now we started this in the '80s. It was Mike Shannon, Bob Gibson, and me. I'm just a traffic guy. I let I turn them loose, and they'd have stories. And uh, we did it in the '80s, and then I left to go to another station in 91 and they just kind of went away. Uh, and so when I, so the reason I'm here now is when the Cardinals left KMOX, they went to another station and they wanted to bring in their people and it wasn't working. John Rooney had come in and, and you know, I've, I've known John forever and I thought it was going to be great. Mike and John, they'll do a great job. But the periphery people weren't very good. And so Mike called me one day. He said, hey, you ever thought about coming back and doing the show and being with the Cardinals? I said, no. He said, why not? I said, nobody asked me. He said, well, I'm asking. I said, well, I'm interested. <laughs> Told my agent, hey, you're going to get a phone call. Don't lose the deal. So he called me back, and the rest is And doing that show the second time was, was so much fun. Uh, and I know people who've listened to it. The storytelling is what it was all about. But I think the thing that was most infectious is Mike laughing. Mike had a laugh that, you know, you could hear it a mile away and you knew exactly who it was. And the people he could get to come on. Mm-hmm. And I think the best example, Hall of Famer Randy Johnson, who, who didn't have the greatest relationship with the media. But Randy Johnson knew Mike knew Bob Gibson. And so he wanted to meet Bob Gibson. So Mike set it up. And so Johnson comes to him and says, hey, I really appreciate you doing it. He said, anything I can do for you? He said, well... You know, I got a radio show in St. Louis. Love for you to come in. This is Johnson's last year in the show. He said, would you mind coming on? He said, yeah, sure. He said, you, you and me? He said, yeah, me, you and me and another guy. You know, we just we just have fun. So we do the show, and Johnson was so open, so fun-loving, that when the show ended, he was like, we're done? Yeah, man, we've been talking for an hour. And he sat there for another hour and a half, the three of us, and I'm just, I cannot believe that Mike Shannon can get this out of this person who I'd heard all these negative things about, but we could get that out of anybody. I mean, nobody said no to that show. Yeah, that was a great environment yeah. too, because you had some folks sitting around after dinner. They were they were relaxed, and it was just a good atmosphere and a good everybody could kind of. I've sat there fifty times just sitting next table having a drink, listening to you just because the game was over. It was yeah. so not serious. So and we the, never the, talked the, about the game. No, That's right. the thing. Oh, we talked about everything but the game. And, and you had you know you always had a player from the other team or the yeah. other umpire or the. It was just cool to hear the we're all having a drink and, it, and it's interesting to hear those guys and everything they know you know i i think the whenever you have a teammate on a former teammate you know one of the favorite shows was for me was bill white and bob gibson together and they were they were roommates at one point and so bill white tells a story that they're roommates and bob says you know, they're going to get rid of one of us at some point. He said, the only thing I'm going to tell you, if you go to another team, if I throw you a pitch low and away, don't try and pull it. <laughs> so, you know, Bill White kind of, now, yeah, man, they're not going to get rid of it. So they trade him the next year. So lo and behold, uh, White goes out, tries to pull a pitch, and Gibson hits him right in the elbow. I mean, I mean, he nails him right in the elbow. And he's going down the first baseline, MF and Bob, and Bob said, I told you not to go out there. <laughs> and they they go to dinner that night. So Bob is listening to Bill White tell this story. And he just says to Mike, he said, hey, Mike, who thought it was a good idea to invite this guy? <laughs> I mean, they was they were having so much fun. Uh, and Mike really had incredible respect for those guys. I mean, those are his favorite people. And to this, uh, before he passed, he would call Bill White. Bill White's one of the last of the Mohegans of that 64 team because he saw Javier the previous year. But there weren't many guys around, but they would stay in touch, and that's that's the kind of guy he was. You know, he was very close to his teammates as they got older. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, what are you guys going to miss the most? 
Ooh, that's that's good, man. He meant so much to us. Yeah, um, the game that was secondary. Yeah, it really became. I, I mean, remember the first time I seen him nervous as hell, trying to do a commercial, you know, and then that that's been gone for twenty five years. I, I, it, it's almost like an uncle, a father. Uh, I, I, I. I, I can't. It's hard. To, it's hard for me to to look at it and be sad and think I'm gonna miss. I'm. So, I feel so blessed that that I got it to where I don't feel like it's right or fair of me to be sad yet. What I'm gonna miss is, I mean, just him. Just just the, just having dinner and asking the guy next to you. You know, he says the table for five. And what do you do? And the guy says, I built the Panama Canal. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking. I sell beer and burgers in Alton, Illinois. <laughs> what do you mean? And the next night we go out and the guy, I I wrote they Mork and Mindy. Close friends. I mean, yeah. I mean, he had the people. And then, hey, I got a buddy of mine coming. He didn't say it was Bobby Knight. Yeah. You know, you're like, just the fun and the and, and not that Bobby Knight's any cooler than the guy that made the Panama Canal. Just the <laughs> idea that Mr. Shannon, the time spent with was so enjoyable, so fun, and I and I was constantly learning. So. I'm, I'm gonna miss, and and you know, I, I, I'm not gonna go say I'm gonna miss. I'm just gonna treasure and cherish, yeah, yeah. and 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 be one. I I feel like, and I mean, there were very few. Michael, tell you, they, the the same group was together all the time because there were no newbies. You know, there yeah. it was tight, and 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 then and he had the guy that would come along, you know, and introduce you. To, but as far as I'm, I just feel as. I'm just, I'm just very. Uh, at this point, I'm real happy, really proud, and and, uh, and I'm just, I'm just good with it. You know what I mean? Because it was cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm like Eddie. Um, I grieved for a bit, and with each day, I was like, "Damn, are you lucky, man? I mean, you're blessed." And just like Eddie was talking about, I remember one day we were in Washington. He said, "Hey, what do you?" We got that's two stories I have to tell you before we leave. Uh, we're in Hawaii. Hey, what do you got going today? I said, Well, I don't know. He said, Well, come on, we're gonna go for a ride. So we go to the Pentagon, and the next thing I know, we're sitting in this room called the tank. It's where the president makes all these huge decisions, and there's a plaque at the president, vice president, chief of naval. That I mean, we're in this room, okay? And you couldn't take a picture of it. You couldn't do anything. And, and, and so Mike walks by the president's placard and looks at it and says, and kind of, he was about to say something. He kind of just shook his head. And I'm looking at him, and he just he had this this look on his face that just says, damn, just like that. And I'm saying double damn because I am in the room where the president <laughs> of the United States is making these critical military decisions all because of Mike Shannon. So my final story. We're, so – you're familiar with the honey badger. Yep, yep. One of the five most feared animals on the planet. And so there was this documentary on, and I was so fascinated by it, I called the zookeeper. I had a radio show at the time, and I got him on. And he's telling me about, you know, there's only one or two honey badgers in the U.S. I'm like, well, damn. And so he says, hey, if you're ever in San Diego, we can, I'll be more than happy to give you a tour. I'm like, great. So we get in the playoffs that year. So Mike has this... Uh, this golf setup for us. We're playing some very nice country club. He says, all right, big boy, uh, we're going to go out and play today. I said, well, I, I can't go today. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to the zoo. He said, well, you're going to the zoo? We got a zoo back in St. Louis. We got a really good zoo. I said, yeah, but they got a honey badger. He said, a honey badger? And so I showed him a video of this honey badger. He picked up the phone and called the golf course. Hey, we're not going to be able to make it today. Uh, we're going to the zoo. Just like that, I hung up. I mean, he was so fascinated by this honey badger. He said, well, if you want to see it, I guess I need to go see it too. And, and that's who he was where he was always accommodating and always wanting to learn. Here's the other thing about Mike. was so He's such a stickler on penmanship and punctuation. He would read copy. No, that's not mm-hmm. right. And he, yep. he would go through it yep. like a teacher. Yep. And he correct he, everything. Exactly. He, he, he was he, he correct everything. As he, he was a stickler for detail. And some people said, "Well, he always looked like he was a met." No, oh, Mike Shannon, no, no. Where everything was, was supposed yep. to be. Mm-hmm. He take a letter out. He take a exactly. A, 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 Never seen anything. You know, I I said to I said, 
Where were you at when I was in the third grade? I, I wouldn't have had to go there twice. <laughs> you know, he was that guy. I'm going to end with something. I won't talk anymore. That's the second to the last time I saw him, not just right before he passed, but a week or two before that I had gone down and I had to go to this physical therapy place that he was at. He's got his room. He's by himself in there, man. I'm like, what the hell? He's in a chair, you know. And I go. We sat and talked. The game was on. You know, ah, they're all horse 1966 and I ain't seen a good play we're laughing you know he's like I gotta get out of here and he's like I, 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 his wife Lori was coming you know so it was fine and I got to the door and he's like man I'd like to get out of here so I turned around I said I'll tell you what you want to go? You get the car right now. I think I told you. This. Yeah, you gonna break him out. I told. Yeah. I, I told you. I said you. You get in my car. You coming back? You stay at my house with me. I got an extra room. And he goes. Because we were gonna take him down to Florida. We were gonna take him to Florida. Yeah. Right. That was before. Right before that. Mm -hmm. Right. And we were trying to break him out. Take him to Florida. And I said. I turned around. And I said. Uh, and I mean, I was serious. This one. But let's go, man. The heck with it. You know what I mean? And he goes. Let me tell you something, big boy. I'm fine right here. And I go. All right, thought you wanted to leave. He goes, now nah, I'm going to tell you, my life was a straight flush. And I go, You're a straight flush? I go, all right. He goes, I'm good. I'm good with everything. It was a straight flush. And I'm opening the door to leave. He goes, and you know the, uh, the trick to a straight flush, don't you? I turn around and he goes, if the other guys all got good hands, it only works if the other guys all got good hands. I said, did you just make that up? And he goes, I think I did. <laughs> and I said, damn, that's pretty good. He goes, because a straight flush ain't worth nothing. Everybody, everybody else got to have a good hand, too. I turned that door. I said, now, nah, he had to have heard that somewhere. <laughs> Drove home for two and a half hours thinking, man, that, that was pretty good. I, I think I looked it up like it had been said before. It was it cool. My life was, a, my life was a straight flush. <laughs> he, uh, he said one time, Brendan Ryan, former Carter, oh, who was different. <laughs> yeah. Different is an least, understatement. Yeah, yeah. Mike saw him on the field, and he said, you know, that's the guy that would bring a Christmas tree to, to somebody's house on the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> and you knew exactly what he was saying. You knew exactly what he meant. You know. I mean, he said, there's a guy that bring a Christmas tree to your house for a 4th of July barbecue. <laughs> that shows it all. Uh, there yeah. you go. Well, I, I, have a, I have a piece of, of Mike Shannon memorabilia. You were talking about he was a collector. So my first uh, save in the big leagues afterwards um i think john rooney brought it down to me but they both signed their scorecard yeah and, he's big on and that. mike put um to the guy in the county <laughs> i don't i don't think that's on there but it said congratulations on the first one only 299 left and um and i have that framed and in my office and it just it meant a lot to me and i think it was his scorecard i don't think it was rooney's i think it was his you might know cool. better um was it in pencil i think so yeah, i have to go back his. and look yeah. i'm pretty sure it was his and he signed it and um, but he's he was thoughtful, you know. Yeah, and, he was. And I think, yeah, he was I think that was the, and I think he probably knew how important that was to me as a St. Louis kid from the county. To, yeah, for he the, the kid from the county. <laughs> he would say that all the time. The right hand, you know, the one from the county. And that, you know that Mister stuff. That, that was just because he couldn't remember the first exactly. name. About yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mister <laughs> uh, Mays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I appreciate you sharing the stories, giving a little insight. Um, you know, to maybe what fans didn't know and, and, uh, and see that other side to them. I hey, hope, you know I hope as, a, as a normal Joe that I could convey to them that you know, I'm no Hall of Famer, no baseball player, no nothing. I, I, uh, I, I snuck in by the grace of God. We and uh, we were, we're, we're I, if you're just a regular guy, you, uh, if, I could, if I could just somehow or another pass it on to how cool the guy was, he really, really was. And, and to say that he was underestimated and, and – and not even, I mean, he was even bigger than, it was cool. It was fun to watch. It really was. He was larger than life. That's yeah, oh, sure. yeah. When he oh, walked yeah. in the room, you knew it. He you could smell him, too. You could smell him. You could smell his cologne. You could walk, you yeah. say, Shannon was here recently. Exactly, you yeah, exactly. You, you could smell his cologne. And his members-only jackets. Uh, yeah. And, you know, one other thing, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say it, and, and I think I can speak for you, Eddie. You can jump in. He taught me how to be a father. He taught me, and, you know, being a father is a challenge. Uh, but I never didn't hear him say, I love you, with every opening statement to his kids in yep. a conversation, and he always ended that way. And he listened to everything they said in between. And while you, you try and take a little bit from here and there from people who try. do it the right way, but that was a huge impact on me. And his kids all turned out good. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, you had six of them, and they were all different, 
But you know what? He found time for all of them. Now, some of them would tell you he was their favorite. And then I would say, well, I think you might be tied for first. Let's just put it that you way. You know, don't be afraid to be you. There you, you go. You be yourself. And they're all And different. you'll be all right. You, you, you know, you, 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 he would teach all of anybody. You be you. You got to be you and walk tall, do your thing, you know, stuff you've heard, and just be yourself and ride with it, man. Bet on you. And and you and you're not everybody's going to be an all-American world-class athlete. But, I mean, he taught me a lot about confidence and business mm-hmm. and about things about, about – why, why not you? You know what I mean. And and and, and to be a good dad and and to um, and how much fun it is to respect and 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 the coolest guy in the room should also be the nicest guy in the room. You yeah. Know? And he's not afraid to say God bless, I love you mm-hmm. when you walk yeah. out. Big old tough guy and then, God bless you guys, I love you. You know you're yeah. like you know you would think you wouldn't want to say that because you'd be he didn't care. You know it, 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 that's what it taught me that put your put your guard down and 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 and. It'd be good to people. Yeah. There you go. Yep, great stuff. Well, he uh, that it's definitely a, a life lived for sure with uh, with Mike Shannon. He was he was About, America's guest everywhere what, he went. What'd you say? Some thirty seven year old guy died fifty years too young because <laughs> he lived. He lived. Mike took extra. over. Yeah, Mike is eighty three on the birth certificate, but some guy died at thirty seven. Mike took about twelve years of his life to continue. Yeah, life. Exactly. Got yeah. two lives. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Thanks for sharing the stories, and uh, thank you for for tuning into the Chatters Box podcast. You can listen to all the podcasts that we've done this year and going back to last year on any of the on the any of the podcast platforms and also you can watch it on the cardinals youtube channel thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next month